You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present our program, Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Showman. Hi, this is Roy Showman, and welcome again to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the completion, the fulfillment, the full realization of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and its sacraments. First of all, this is a live call-in radio show. So if at any point during the show you'd like to call in with a question or a comment, the number here is 866-333-6279, which spells 866-333-MARY for our Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, I, before I begin the show proper, I just want to make a comment because, of course, today is the Feast of the Transfiguration when Jesus appeared on the top of Mount Tabor, flanked by Moses and Elijah. And I just wanted to make two comments about that. One is, of course, it's a very beautiful feast from a Jewish Catholic or Hebrew Catholic perspective because it shows it's, it's actually a graphic image of how deeply embedded in Judaism uh, Jesus and Christianity and the Catholic Church are, that in that tableau of Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, you had the Torah, because Moses was known as the lawgiver who brought the Torah, the, the law, in the first five books of the Old Testament to man, and Elijah, because the Jewish Old Testament was divided into the law and the prophets. In fact, in the passages in the New Testament where Jesus mentions you've read in the law and the prophets, that is was the expression for the Old Testament because on the one hand you had the Torah, which literally means law, which was given by Moses, and on the other hand you had the prophets, which was most of the rest of the uh, Old Testament. The third element, of course, being the wisdom literature, but um, in any case, the, you had the prophets, and Elijah was the ultimate prophet and was, in some sense, the spirit of all the prophets and, uh, of course, was absolutely unique in that he was assumed into heaven, that he didn't die but went up to heaven in a chariot. So in this tableau, you have Jesus um, emerging as one could think of as the New Testament emerging from the two wings of the Old Testament. Uh, in any case, of course... The apostles who were present were Jews, and it was very, it was very much not two different, uh, I don't know how to put it, but two different concepts being presented, that of Jesus on the one hand and that of Judaism in the Old Testament on the other, but rather the three were being presented as one, with of course Jesus being the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So I just want to throw in a little a little Jewish Catholic chauvinism there for the feast day. And then I would like to spend most of this show um, talking about the book in the Old Testament known as the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon and reading from the writings of Charlie Rich. Now, I've mentioned Charlie Rich before on the show. He was a Hasidic Jew. That's an ultra-Orthodox Jew who very enthusiastically entered the Catholic Church and became a Catholic contemplative and spent the rest of his very long life living with the Jesuits in New York City as a Catholic contemplative. And he would spend 10 or 12 hours a day 
in prayer before the Blessed Sacrament and had a very intimate and rapturous uh, relationship with Jesus, which he, uh, which is reflected in his writings on the Song of Songs. So my intention for today is to read uh, just a few passages from the Song of Songs itself from the Old Testament, just to give a flavor of it, and then to read some passages from Charlie Rich in a, a book of his writings, which is in fact a discussion of or exegesis of or contemplation based on the Song of Songs. That book is called The Embrace of the Soul. Uh, if anyone uh, wants to look into uh, Charlie Rich's writings and, and see if they can get a hold of this book and so forth, there is a website which you will find if you Google Friends of Charles Rich or Friends of Charlie Rich. I'm not entirely sure which it is. During the break, I'll look it up. But if you just Google Friends of Charles Rich, I suspect you'll find the website dedicated to him and his writings. And some of his books are actually available, I believe, for free in electronic form on that website. And there's also information on ordering the books that are still in print. So just reading some passages from the uh, first couple of chapters of Song of Songs in order to give a, a little bit of a context, a background to Charlie Rich's uh, discussion of the Song of Songs. So I'll just begin in the beginning with verse 2. Oh, that you would kiss me with the kisses of your mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, the maidens love you. Draw me after you. Let us make haste. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will exalt and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved. Truly lovely. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. As an apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. Oh, that his left hand were under my head, and that his right hand embraced me. Now, the um, Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, uh, has always, always as being defined as until about 50 years ago, been seen as an allegory of the love and almost spousal relationship between God and his people, between God and the church. And the imagery, the love imagery, which at times gets quite intimate in the Song of Songs, has been seen as a reflection of the intimate and spousal nature of the love in which God holds us. So with that, uh, I will say in the last 50 years or 40 years, there has been an unfortunate tendency in the um, move, let us say, to strip, um, hmm, how can I put this politely? Uh, there's been a kind of anti-mystical and even anti-faith trend in Bible criticism that's tried to strip away 
the supernatural and the mystical from the uh, meaning of the scriptures. And so you will occasionally find today uh, Bible commentaries, uh, if they've been written in the last few years, which will say essentially, oh, what's this book doing in the Old Testament? This was just misplaced. It was just a secular love poem. But that's a very new view and one that is very alien to everything all of the Catholic saints through the centuries have thought and written about the Song of Songs. So let me go to a very new uh, Catholic quote, saint, close quote, Charlie Rich, the converted Hasidic Jew, and read from his book called The Embrace of the Soul on the Song of Songs. There can be no greater punishment than to be a stranger to the kind of joys described in this song, Joys we shall only fully experience when we get to heaven. To really love God as he wishes we should love him, our divine Lord has to enrapture our hearts and minds so that we can be transformed. It is characteristic of the world to go its own sweet way, but it is also characteristic of him whom we love so much to go his own sweet way, the sweet way of heaven." When Adam and Eve were in paradise, they experienced some of the joys described in the Song of Songs, divine and supernatural ones. There is a joy from heaven they alone know who are pure of heart. All throughout scripture, that purity of heart our Lord spoke of when he came on earth is praised. The Song of Songs represents the soul's Sabbath rest in Christ, a rest which begins on earth and continues throughout eternity. This Sabbath, signifies the contemplative state wherein the beauty of Christ brings with it the kind of repose enjoyed by those who already see him face to face in the world to come. There is a word in Hebrew for this kind of rest which brings with it every imaginable and inconceivable good. Those who possess this rest, or shalom, have need of nothing more to make them everlastingly happy and well-off. In the contemplative state, which those in heaven already enjoy, Christ is experienced in the way and manner of which this song speaks. There is a passage in the book of Revelation which reads, I heard a voice from heaven say to me, Write this down, Happy now are the dead who die in the Lord. Yes, they shall find rest from their labors, for their good works accompany them. Revelation 14.13 What these labors are is not specified, but one may conjecture that they consist in the effort that all the saints made during their lives to get to know Christ better by means of their increased knowledge of him so that they would be able to love and serve him in a more worthy manner. How many intensely long for the beauty of Christ without ever so much as suspecting that it is he they long for. How many there are who go to their graves without having even for one moment tasted the beauty of Christ's being. It is in this their sad lot lies. It is the exact opposite with the saints. Having had the grace to know Christ by personal experience, they have no doubt of the infinite joys awaiting them after this life is over. The world envies the saints for their having known God in a deeply intimate way, like to that of those already in heaven. We must ask for the grace to love the love of Christ, for without that love, this whole life is nothing but an unending knot. In the Song of Songs, we are given a foretaste of all we shall one day enjoy in heaven. Figuratively and mystically, 
All its joys are described there. By means of this song, we can re-enter paradise so as to partake of the delights that were there before sin was committed. For a Christian, heaven begins on earth and paradise can be located in his or her inmost self, there where our Lord said he will take up his blessed abode. This is the meaning of the words of the Lord when he said through the mouth of St. John, Here I stand knocking at the door. If anyone hears me calling and opens the door, I will enter his house and have supper with him and he with me. Revelation 3. Our Lord here referred to that divine food in the form of his mystical doctrines, which the bride soul said was sweet to her taste. The souls who love Christ sing their way into paradise, that place of delight which we regain as soon as we close our eyes in death. We cannot live without the music from heaven the Song of Songs plays in so enigmatic and mystical a way. Heaven is the solution to the problems we have on earth, and heaven only. When the trouble we have becomes too much for us to bear, we have to immerse ourselves in the joys that are waiting for us upon our departure from this life, since this is the only way our earthly existence can be born with the proper amount of Christian composure. Life on earth is a warfare, we are told in the book of Job, and so we have to have the weapons which our faith in a future life supplies in order not to be overcome and defeated in this encounter. As long as we live, we cannot fight off the enemies of our souls without the armor supplied by the Christian religion. Those who will not make use of these arms will go down in defeat. Faith means battles, St. Ambrose tells us, Unless we wage warfare with the weapons of faith, hope, and love, we shall be conquered by the enemy of the human race, namely the devil. It is he who does all allowed him by God to prevent us from believing in the joys of the future life. It is these joys that are the Christian's legitimate goal and not any other kind. Many are looking for solutions to the problems of this life without ever realizing that these solutions can be found in Christ alone. False is the salvation of men, the psalmist tells us, but how few there are who pay any attention to what he has to say. It is otherwise with the saints. They have the grace to take the words of God literally, so the problems they have are not those of other men and women who are not as holy as they and as loving. Let me just take a, a brief pause here. First of all, you're listening to Roy Shoman on Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. And I'm reading from the writings of a contemplative, mystic, Jewish, Hasidic, man-turned-Catholic contemplative, Charlie Rich, uh, expounding on the contents of the Song of Songs from the Old Testament. And um, one, two things, I suppose, come out very strongly, I think, in the, in the passages that I read. The first is that um, the only way to make sense of life on earth and the only way to bear life on earth with the proper amount of Christian composure and patience and even charity is to do so with our eyes on heaven. Um, what happens after death, our eternal bliss in heaven or our eternal punishment, God forbid, as the alternative, is not a side point to be put on a shelf and dealt with 
only after we die or only when we're on our deathbed. It's actually the illumination in which we have to see all of our lives. In fact, every day of our lives, every trial and every pleasure, every disappointment, um, every prayer is the, the, the meaning and the context for it is in its meaning for our eternity. Um, otherwise, we will, uh, I think the line from St. Paul was when, when Jesus said to him, you know, it's tough when you kick against the goad. Um, you know, otherwise we'll be kicking against the goad. We will be kicking against what divine providence has for us, the twists and turns of the fortunes of our life um, that are designed by God uh, to bring us to heaven and also, frankly, to produce uh, mortification and to produce salvific suffering, redemptive suffering that we can offer up in union with the suffering of Christ for our redemption and for the redemption of the souls of those we love and for the redemption of the souls of those we hate and everyone else on earth and for the conversion of sinners and so forth. So it is really the eternal fate of mankind which has to be held in view in order for us to cross the passage of this life sanely and purposefully and in the right and most productive way. So I guess I just wanted to to underline that. The other thing that uh, jumps out very strongly to me as I read this is Charlie Rich's uh, personal and intimate and almost romantic sense of love of Christ, which I think is the ideal which is presented to us by all of the mystic saints and for which we should certainly pray and which is particularly touching um, when it comes in reading the words of a ultra-Orthodox Jewish man who was uh, totally in love with God and passionate about God, but did not know Christ and then came to know Christ, and that love of God became ever more, I don't know quite what the right word is, ever more intimate, ever more satisfied, um, ever more fulfilled in this personal relationship with Jesus. And that is a personal relationship with Jesus, which, of course, Jesus holds out um, to all of us and which is actually largely the, the purpose of life on earth. So I will now go back to reading Charlie Rich's words. I will also invite any callers to call in with comments or questions. The number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY for the Blessed Virgin Mary. So going back to Charlie Rich's writings on the Song of Songs. There is a war within us, and it takes place between what is higher and what is lower in our human makeup. This is the good fight of which St. Paul speaks. Everyone must wage it in an uncompromising way. As long as we live, there will never be complete peace within ourselves. That which is above will always be engaged in mortal combat with that which is below, the worldly part fighting the spiritual without any let-up. In this respect, we often say, peace, peace, while there is no peace. There is no peace in that part of ourselves which is in constant rebellion with what is higher in ourselves. Because of the warfare that will always go on between these two, two parts of our nature, 
our Lord proclaimed that he was bringing a sword and not peace. There is, of course, a peace which is consonant with our love for all our Lord stands for. But the possession of this kind of peace can only be had by continual warfare with that in ourselves dragging us down to the level of those who are eternally lost. Spiritually as well as physically, we cannot live in this world without being exposed to dangers of every kind. Realizing this is the case, we ask God for the grace to protect us from these evils. In order not to be laid low by what is inferior in ourselves, we have to continually aim at the heights of truth and beauty that are Jesus. And though there are dark moments in our lives and dismal ones, we have to think of the times when we were free from them, and that these times will in due course return again. When dark and depressing thoughts do all they can to make our entry into our souls, we must fight them off with the knowledge of all that Jesus is and what he has done for us by means of his passion and death. I will just interject here a thought of St. Ignatius of Loyola uh, that he uh, brings out and emphasizes in his spiritual exercises, which is that we go through life in, in some sense, alternating periods of being under the influence of the good spirit, the Holy Spirit, and being shadowed by the influence of uh, not the Holy Spirit, of, of fallen spirits. And uh, we can gauge, we can make an earnest attempt to discern which of those states we're in. Because when we're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we feel peace and consolation and patience and love and kindness and the fruits, frankly, of the Holy Spirit that St. Paul describes. When we are under the influence of fallen spirits, we feel kind of their opposite. We feel anxiety, we feel a tendency to anger, we feel impatience, we feel a depression or or morbidness and so forth. So the first step is to determine uh, whether you are in a mood that's indicative of being influenced by the Holy Spirit or in a mood that's indicative of being influenced by a bad spirit. If we are influenced by the Holy Spirit, we should fortify ourselves by remembering that the day will come when we won't be under in that consolation, but we will be in the darkness again, and we should pray for strength to pass through that darkness, and we shall make should make efforts to remember the consolation and the real nearness of God to call it to mind in the darker periods. When we're in the darker periods, we should recall that that dark period will not go on forever, but we should remember the uh, preceding periods of consolation, preceding periods of being under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we should remember the peace and joy that we had then, and we should call to mind aggressively that that will in fact return, that we will pass through the valley and go back up the hill and someday soon be back in that consolation and joy and peace. So that's the first thing, to not fall for the trap of thinking that whatever state we're in in the moment is uh, somehow the state that we're guaranteed to continue in or doomed to continue in. That's step one. Step two is something that St. Ignatius of Loyola stresses very strongly, which is decision-making in those two states. Um, we should only make serious decisions about our lives and about our vocations and so forth when we're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, when we're in a state 
that the attributes of, of, of peace and joy and patience and so forth indicate is one of being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And when we are in a bad mood, so to speak, under the influence of bad spirits and, and uh, with a with a tendency towards anger and impatience and sadness and moroseness and, and uh, so forth, we should make a concerted effort not to make any serious decisions, but to wait for a period of consolation to return. More damage is done by decisions made in periods of desolation, that's the technical term for these dark periods, than anything else, with the ultimate example of that, of course, being uh, those who despair to the point of not giving them a chance, giving themselves a chance to survive that period and live long enough to go into a period of consolation. So um, anyway, that was just a little bit of a gloss on Charlie Rich's discussion of the um, alternating, alternating dark and uh, sunny periods in our lives. Uh, going back to uh, Charles Rich for a few minutes before, before the break, we usually take halfway through or so. So I'll read for another three or four minutes, and um, that'll bring us up to the break. Christ is joy, beauty, and love multiplied to an infinite degree. It is upon Christ we call when we find ourselves depressed in spirit. Has he not been called the medicine of life? O Lord and Savior, how we must rally round the divine love you are in order to render the troubles of this life bearable to ourselves. How frequently the need arises in our lives when when we must say, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. Where but in him can be had the balm from heaven for which all the prophets sighed. At such moments, how consoling it is to read the words of the Song of Songs, since it is in them we find that for which pure hearts yearn. We must become saints, for otherwise this life will withhold its many secrets from us, and thus we shall not attain to the stature of the God-man. The God-man is the ideal around whom we must center all the love of our human hearts. When we do so, we shall receive on earth a goodly taste of what the joys of heaven are like. The joy of the saints consists in the realization that they have of God being present in all existing things. Without his presence in them, they would not be. The saints knew that no matter what we do, we cannot flee from the divine good Jesus is. Love if you can, St. Augustine wrote, anything that God has not made. No matter what we may do, we cannot get away from God. It is in this realization that our whole happiness lies. Even the sins we commit, providing these are not of a grave nature, cannot separate us from him who is spoken of in the scriptures as he who always is. Christ is everywhere. He is especially present in the souls of those who have the good fortune to be able to believe in him. When we move among men and women, the realization comes over us that do as we may, we actually mingle with him by whose goodness and love these men and these women have been brought into existence. With this in mind, there is a necessity not only to get back to God, but also to become by grace what he himself is. So with that, I am going to uh, break for a few moments for our musical interlude. Again, this is Roy Shoman on Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic faith. 
And my way of doing that today is by reading some very beautiful words of another uh, fervent Jew who became a fervent Catholic, Charlie Rich, uh, in his meditations on the Song of Songs. So after the break, we will return. I will continue reading from Charlie Rich, and I will also welcome any calls that may come in. The number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY. And uh, perhaps if you take advantage of the break to call in, I'll be able to take your calls at the other side as soon as we come back on the air. So with that, we'll take our musical interview interlude, excuse me, and I'll be back in a few moments.
You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. When I return to our program, Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Showman. Hi, this is Roy Showman. Welcome back to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism. We've been reading today from the writings of Charles Rich, a Hasidic Jew who became a fervent Catholic contemplative. Uh, on other shows, by the way, I have given his uh, witness testimony, read his witness testimony from his writings. His witness testimony, by the way, uh, appears in one of my books called Honey from the Rock uh, from Ignatius Press. It's called Honey from the Rock, 16 Jews Find the Sweetness of Christ. And uh, in it is, is uh, essentially his first-person witness testimony of his miraculous conversion, uh, along with 15 other uh, Jewish to Catholic witness testimonies, including my own. And it's uh, Ignatius Press, so it's available from virtually any bookstore or online bookseller. Uh, and while I mention that, I will also mention that I have a website, salvationisfromthejews.com. And on that website you can uh, read a little bit about Charlie Rich. You can read a little bit about me. You can read the witness testimonies of uh, probably about 20 or 30 other uh, Jews who have entered the Catholic Church. You can find out about my upcoming speaking engagements. You can get in touch with me. And you can listen to archived uh, copies of this show, uh, Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, past shows, uh, in principle, all past uh, radio shows on Radio Maria that I've done under the name of Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, and before that under the name of Sal- um, Salvation is from the Jews, uh, are should be posted up there. So anyway, I invite you to look at that website at salvationisfromthejews.com. You can also find out there about, about my other books. Uh, also, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that if you want to find out more about Charles Rich, or get a hold of some of his writings, some of which are available for free uh, as e-books. Um, the website that I alluded to um, can be found uh, most easily if you simply Google Friends of Charles Rich. That's Friends of Charles Rich. And it'll bring you to uh, the website and um, information on him and his writings and so forth. So anyway, back to reading from this book of his, which is called The Embrace of the Soul on the Song of Songs. And again, if you wish to call in with questions or comments, we still have some time. The number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Back to Charles Rich. What a dreary world this would be without the Son of God in it. We cannot even imagine such a world, since without him it would not exist. We are told in the Gospel of St. John that, quote, in the beginning was the Word, close quote. Christ is the beginning mentioned in the book of Genesis. In and through him the world was created, and without him there would be no world. How unhappy they must be who lack the light, the interior illumination of the soul, which our divine Lord was meant by God to be. By light the Jews of old meant inner brightness of spirit, a kind of spiritual delight known and experienced by all the saints. We need the inner brightness of soul that Christ is, and without the light we are in the darkness of which the prophet Job spoke when he said, Perish the day on which I was born, the night when they said the child is a boy. May that day be darkness, may darkness and gloom claim it. We need the inner joy which the Christian religion imparts to the souls of all true believers, 
since without that joy there would be within us the dark pessimism of the pagans. We need the joy and delight of the Song of Songs, since without it we end up in an atmosphere of gloom like that of unbelievers. I will just make a, a little side comment because of that line of Charles Rich's that without the uh, light that Christ shines in our soul, we would end up in an atmosphere of gloom like that of unbelievers. I have a friend who is a monk in France, and um, he likes to say that if you think sin makes you happy, just look at the faces on the subway in the morning. Um, the uh, atmosphere of gloom like that of unbelievers. Anyway, continuing. We need joy in our lives as a torch which enables us to see the horizons of another and infinitely more beautiful life than the present one. If God were to give us the whole world of material riches and withhold from us belief in his divine Son, where would we be? Would we not be where they had been prior to the Incarnation? By they, we mean the pagans of the Greek and Roman nations. We need the lightness of heart and the joy of mind, faith, in starting that sentence over. We need the lightness of heart and joy of mind, faith in Christ brings with it, as this faith is so entrancingly shattered forth in the word music of the Song of Songs. Solomon was the richest man of his time, but he ended up saying, Vanity of vanities, all things are vanity. Nothing had any value in his eyes, save the things money was unable to buy. These are the things of the Spirit, as well as all the great consolations it is pleasing to God to instill into us. It is God's will we should dispose ourselves for the graces he is only too willing to bestow upon us. God loves us too much to be satisfied with creating us for this life alone. We are told by St. John that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We should take heart at these words. Not a day should pass in which we should fail to be conscious of our eternal destiny and the unspeakable joys we shall experience on our departure from this life. Let us anchor the substance of our being on what is immune to change and decay. Amen. I will continue. That's the end of this uh, section. Uh, in the book, but I will go on to the next section, which discusses line after line of um, Song of Songs. But I do want to make a comment on where Charlie Rich is coming from when he writes this, because Charlie Rich is encouraging us to uh, essentially pray for the consolation of love of Jesus and for the consolation of intimacy with Jesus and a really a heartfelt companionship and romantic love with God through that relationship with Jesus. And he is not explicitly mentioning something, which is why we may not be granted that. Now, there are a number of reasons why we may not be granted that, including the fact that, of course, um, all the greatest of the saints, uh, God uh passed through a period of great dryness of spirit where they had no consolation prayer. One need only think of uh, St. John of the Cross or or even uh, St. Therese of Lisieux, who spent years in total dryness of prayer as a, as a trial and as a sacrifice. But there is another first reason we should look at, which frankly has to do with the sacrament of confession, which is everything that Charlie Rich is talking about is contingent on being on a, in a state of grace. 
and not being in a state of mortal sin. And we as Catholics have an amazing gift that enables us to get in a state of grace when we have fallen into a state of sin, and that is the sacrament of confession. So if anyone out there is uh, not satisfied with their prayer life, is not satisfied, you know, are, are saying to themselves, you know, why can't I feel Jesus? Why can't I feel anything special going on in Mass when I'm present at Mass or whatever? Uh, a question to ask yourself is, how long has it been since you have been to confession? And is there a possibility that there is the stain of sin on your souls, which is, you know, like like film on a window, like like um, dirt accumulated on the glass of a window might be blocking the light of Christ from shining into your soul. So the very first place to look when one is uh, praying for increased intimacy with Jesus and increased consolation in prayer is to turn to the sacrament of confession. Uh, I have heard it said, I don't know the exact details, that I've heard variously that that St. Pope John Paul II either confessed every day or confessed every couple of days. I'm sure he confessed every couple of days. I've heard the same thing about Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Um, one doesn't have to have recently committed a murder in order to go to confession. These saints went to confession very frequently because, again, the, the brighter the sunlight shining through that glass window, the more apparent every speck of dust on that window is going to be, and the more you'll want that window to be as sparkling as possible to let that intensity of light through. So um, I'm talking about confession in the light of, God forbid, getting out of a state of sin into a state of grace. But if one is in a state of grace, to still purify oneself and make it easier and easier for the light of Christ to shine in one and through one to others. Um, I don't want to get in trouble, but there is really, I don't think there's anybody, there is, I don't think there's any Catholic who would not be very well served by going to confession at least every other week. And if you're aware of the um, plenary indulgence that's associated uh, with various acts, um, the uh, most of the conditions for the plenary indulgences, uh, how can I put it? Mo most plenary indulgences require having been to confession either within a week before or a week after. So if one goes to confession every two weeks, one is staying in that state. I mean, in other words, one's staying close enough to having been to confession for any plenary indulgences, which one otherwise earns to be granted and not denied because of not having been to confession. And finally, I think most of us know that this is the year of mercy announced by Pope Francis, and that it is a year of uh, almost unprecedented, certainly um, soliciting the uh, mercy of God and celebrating the God of mercy, but also probably of exceptional mercy being poured out by God upon mankind. And uh, the condition, so to speak, for receiving the fullness of God's mercy is, of course, penitence, is being sorry for one's sins. It is all the more difficult, I'll leave it to theologians to say whether or not it's impossible, but it's all the more difficult for God to grant us his mercy 
if we are unrepentant in our sin, all God asks for in order to infinitely pour out his reservoirs of mercy on us is our being sorry for our sins. Look at the story of the prodigal son. It is when he went back to his father and said, receive me as one of your servants. I'm not worthy to be called your son. In other words, when he was sorry for his sin, aware of his sin and sorry for his sin, that the father said, nonsense, let me put the ring on your finger, you know, and the the festive cloak on your back and have a feast for you. He didn't say that to his son when his son was cavorting with the uh, women of ill repute repute and so forth earlier he said it when his son returned to him in in penitence asking for his mercy and so the two are really two sides of one coin the the penitence and mercy and if we want the mercy side of the coin all we have to offer up is the penitent side of the coin which of course is kind of sacramentalized in the sacrament of confession so uh, after that brief commercial, again, the number here, if you wish to call, commercial for the Sacrament of Confession, that is, the number here, if you wish to call us, 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY or Mary. Back to Charlie Rich. Uh, the line that he is citing from Song of Songs here is, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. We will now turn to the consideration of particular lines in the song in order to meditate on their analogical meaning. To begin with the first line, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, these words can be applied in prayer to our desire that by means of grace we may become what Christ is by nature. The kisses of the mouth signify the perfect conjunction of God and the soul, a union to be fulfilled only after this life is over. Such spiritual meanings for kisses, and then later for such expressions as your eyes are doves, or your hair is like a flock of goats, uh, your rounded thighs like jewels, and your navel like a rounded bowl, agree with the mystical and allegorical interpretation of the Jews of old prior to the Christian era. All efforts at portraying this divine canticle as a mere love poem celebrating purely human affections, have failed miserably to satisfy the soul's craving for something higher than itself with godlike qualities. May it not have been the song of songs our Lord had in view when he said to those around him not to give to God excuse me, not to give to dogs what is holy, and not to throw pearls before swine. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, the devout soul says to our divine Lord. In these words, she expresses her desire to enter into the state of glory, there to partake of its beatific bliss. In the higher stages of the interior life, we need what the holy angels already possess. It is this necessity the Song of Songs supplies. It does so in divine abundance, and this because of its being celestial in form and quality. As long as we live, we cannot have the goods of heaven and those of earth also. In asking for the kisses of the mouth, the loving soul says that she wants only that is, only that which is of a nature to last forever. Many there are who have been called by God to sublime states of union with Him. The question we must ask ourselves is this, shall we accept so wonderful a grace, or shall we back out 
for fear of what others may think of us? Shall we settle for some lesser good? The tragedy is that God, being what he is, leaves us free to reject his high gifts and in many cases even to spurn them altogether. It is not thus with the saints. How many there are who have already received the grace to lay down their lives out of love for the higher teachings of the Christian religion. How many there always will be who will continue to render themselves worthy of so high a calling. It takes great courage, the masters of the spiritual life tell us, to respond wholeheartedly to the call from God to live lives pleasing to him. This is one of the reasons why so few in every age responded to such a call. With this in mind, let those of us who know better pray for the grace to avoid making the mistake of setting our sights too low. An eternity of happiness is at stake in the matter of becoming saints. It is to enable us to become saints that the Song of Songs is written, Man is nothing, God is all, the blessed Lieberman said, the blessed Francis Lieberman said as he lay dying. Now, if God is all, we must measure the rest from the point of view of eternity. God will not prevail to provide us with the help we need to accomplish such a purpose. We should not be afraid to ask great things of God, since it is in this way we honor him and pay tribute to his munificence as one who can do great things. In heaven, we will find in God all we now seek outside of him. The incidental qualities now common to our mortal nature will not be there, but that only in our makeup which resembles the divine nature. It is for these heaven-like qualities the saints asked when they said to our Lord, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Wine is a symbol for all the good things in this life, when contrasted with those infinitely more wonderful laid up for us in heaven. In asking for the kisses of the mouth, the saints made known to God the love in their hearts for things divine. For them, all the graces they received from God constituted the kisses of the mouth. Love alone becomes the measure of all things during the final stages of our earthly journey, and it is only reasonable that this should be so. In his epistle to the Corinthians, does not St. Paul himself extol love about, above every other Christian virtue? Since there he tells us, If I speak with human tongues and angelic as well and do not have love, I am a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. More and more as we go on living, we realize that love alone matters. For being what he is, the all-wise and omnipotent one, what is there we creatures can add to the infinite perfections with which the Godhead is endowed? All we can give him is our love. And so we sing, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. So we've come to the end of our time today. You're listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. This is Roy Shoman. I've been reading from the writings of another Jewish Catholic, uh, Charlie Rich. And he ended the section pointing out that God, being what he is, all wise and omnipotent, what can we add to his infinite perfections? All we can add is our love. And so we sing, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Let us pray for the grace to love God more and more, to yearn for our love of God to grow more and more, and thereby to become saints. The next line that Charlie Rich speaks about 
is your name spoken is a spreading perfume, uh, the line from the Song of Songs. The spreading perfume can be seen as the grace and favors given by God to sanctify the soul. These have been given to us by means of Christ coming into the world and suffusing it with himself. We are the aroma of Christ, St. Paul says, in reference to himself and those with whom he was intimately united. There is a mystical sense of smell with which the saints inhale into themselves the divine odor of him who is God made man. The Hebrew for smell is scent and odor. There exists a heavenly unction by means of which our Lord makes himself present and felt mystically in the substance of the soul. It is of this type of experience the symbolism of the song speaks. It is a truism to say that the saints not only know of God, but that they also feel him present in their inmost selves. It is this experience of the divine good Jesus which constitutes the spreading perfume. In saying to him, she loves so much, your name is spoken as a spreading perfume, the bride's soul wishes to make known how thoroughly penetrated with the sense of the divine she has become. Suffused with the divine, she is no longer what she has been prior to this experience. By means of this grace, God enables the soul to become what he himself is, though in a limited sense. It is Christ himself who has revealed himself to the soul, and realizing this to be the case, in her ecstasy the soul cries out and says, Your name spoken is a spreading perfume, indicating in these words that something delightful has entered into her. So uh, this is Roy Shoman. I've uh, come to the end of another little section that I read, uh, unsure of whether our program was terminated the first time I thought it was being terminated. So with that, I will once again close the show, hoping that I have it right. And if not, I'm sure that the next show will come on in a few moments. You've been listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. This is Roy Shoman. I've been reading from the writings of another Jewish Catholic, Charlie Rich. I hope you've enjoyed the show, and I hope you tune in again next week. Bye for now.